0: Welcome to the latest episode of Take Back Our Schools. I am Andrew Gutman, and along with my co-host, as I always am, Beth Feely. And we are two accidental activist parents that spoke out about what we saw happening in our children's schools. And today we are joined with someone else who is a, I would say, an accidental activist parent who spoke up about what was happening in her kids' schools and then went on to form a national organization to do something about that. Uh, so we are very pleased to welcome Dr. Alana Fishbein to take back our schools today. Uh, Alana is the founder and president of the National Grassroots Movement No Left Turn in Education. Uh, she will talk about. I want to, and I'm not going to read your bio because I want you to talk about your your origin story. Um, but she holds a doctorate in social work from the University of Pennsylvania, as well as a master's and bachelor's degree in social work, uh, where she specialized in child welfare and child abuse and neglect. Uh, she is grew up in Israel and, like many Israelis, also served in the Israel Defense Forces. So, Alana, thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Thank you. One important thing that you forgot to say. What did I forget? Me, that I'm yeah. a, bi- a mother of three boys. Oh, a
0: mother of three. Was that in the bio?
1: <laughs> I'm it's looking not, at it. Okay. It's, it's really not in the bio. my fault. Okay. okay. I, I carry that as my first identity, you know, ID okay. card. Mother of mother three of boys. Th-
0: proud mother of three boys. <laughs>
1: Absolutely, protective mothers of three boys. Yeah,
0: protective mama bear, mother of three boys. So, how old are your boys, Alana? Uh,
1: My youngest is ten, in fifth grade. My middle boy is twelve, in uh, seventh grade, and my older son is twenty-one. Okay, all
2: right. So, all in some sort of either higher ed or or grade school. So, in the crosshairs.
1: That's right. That's right. Middle school, elementary school. And one is actually uh, in Israel, the older one.
0: Ah, OK, great. All right. So you have sort of a very interesting story. I mean, somewhat similar again to Beth and myself about you sort of accidentally got into this world. Uh, but but you started a what is now one of the big national organizations. So talk about sort of that origin story, because I, I I've heard it before and I think it's really interesting and our listeners would love to hear it.
1: Yeah. In fact, uh, even with my older son, who is now 21, I started uh, seeing the politicization of the curriculum and we as parents, my husband and I became very concerned, but uh, we did not see actually what's happening today, uh, uh, which got started really after the eruption of the uh, pandemic and the riots uh, after the death of George Floyd. But it was very already obvious to us. And right before the pandemic, my husband and I decided to move our kids out of the uh, public school and move them to a religious private school. Uh, So when uh, the killing of George or the death of George Floyd happened, and it was an all open season on our kids at school with the kind of material that they uh, imposed on them in the curriculum, uh, we, first of all, felt luckily we left uh, the school and we already, our kids were already signed up in a new school. However, that violent summer of 2020 also made it very clear to us that what's going on is really fundamentally trying to undermine our nation. And when I wrote a letter to the superintendent on my school board right before the end of the uh, school year uh, and nobody replied. But at the same time, when I was posting it on Facebook and asking for parents' opinion uh, about the changes in the curriculum and in the school, and I wanna remind you guys, everybody was hungered down at, at home because of the COVID. So there's no really way to interact with parents or communicate only through social media. And at that time I was attacked viciously by the parents from uh, the school uh, on the, on Facebook, calling me all the names in the book. And all of a mm-hmm. sudden, people who don't even know me decided that I'm a racist and a bigot and asked to exclude me, not in our town, not in our community. And of course, they took me down. Uh, and I was still kind of trying to digest all this and was very surprised, again, posting it in other places, in our Facebook, in our community, and everybody taking me down or not posting it. Uh, so that's when it became really clear that we you, are here on a very serious fight for something fundamental that is going on in our nation.
2: Had you ever voiced concern about issues in your community before, or was this your first foray into
1: activism? Actually, the first one. Oh, okay. I never... I was never involved in school board. I was never involved in school board election. I did not know what the school board do. I didn't know what the superintendent does. I honestly, I'm ashamed to admit, but I think I share what most parents in the country are, uh, you know, found out that they knew nothing. Mm -hmm. And I literally knew nothing.
2: Right. No, clearly part of the problem. And a lot of us were right there with you. So but you did decide to do something. And so tell us how that morphed, that initial uh, experience morphed into creating No Left Turn.
1: So when I voiced uh, that, when I told that story to a friend of ours right here and that connected with the Washington uh, Free Beacon, they just did a story of the mother who is experiencing this in the school district. Who is very familiar with because he lived in this area. Uh, And that really got a lot of feedback, very positive, but also what's very, very important to emphasize is that a lot of people that supported me, and there were many of them, were also doing it privately and were expressing a great, great fear of consequences. And if it will become known that they agree with me. But the people that were lynching me, were dancing in the you know in the in the city square or the town square uh, kind of bashing me and calling me names so that was really uh, very um, you know uh, surprising that people in this country are afraid to speak up again you can hear from my accent I was not born here I was not raised here I am an immigrant and I'm coming from what I think is a free country Israel but still coming, everybody who come to United States know that they're coming to the land of the free, uh, to the land that actually your right are right there in the constitution to protect your free speech, to fr- protect your uh, uh, free assembly expression, et cetera. And all of a sudden I'm hearing American born, American raised, gener- people are generation American afraid to speak up. Uh, and that's something that really blew me away. Luckily, after that uh, article in the Washington Free Beacon, uh, it brought to the attention of somebody, I don't know who, brought it to the attention of uh, Tucker Carlson, and I was asked to be interviewed. Uh, and right, right at that time, I gathered a few of those mothers, literally a handful of those mothers, who supported me privately, and invited them to my living room, and I said, I'm, I'm launching a movement. We have to fight it. And that's where actually my uh, personal background and history played a major role in the decision uh, to do that. Uh, I'm Jewish and I felt looking at my history as a Jewish person, what happened to our people when they were prosecuted time and time again, including the Holocaust, when they were moving from a place to place, but every in mean, every place, there were, uh, you know, those forces that tried to exterminate them, that uh, from the Inquisition to my parents who grew up in Iraq and what happened in Iraq to our, uh, fe- you know, uh, families and relatives in in the Holocaust. So you have a choice: either to keep running and they will get you, or to get up and fight for your survival. And because I grew up in Israel, my whole family is in Israel, and that's what we decided to do in Israel get up and fight for your right to survive. And at that point, I really felt because of the summer of 2020, that is really uh, a war of uh, survival. It's not just a war of um, fighting different ideology of opinion that you can sit and write an article on this side and write an article on that side. We are not really kind of uh, discussing ideas even. We're really fighting.
0: So, so Tucker Carlson was effectively your launch. Is that is that right? Or, or...
1: Uh, actually, many times that's what I say, and some people right. took it literally. But uh, in fact, uh, yes, because uh, uh, after Tucker Carlson, I remember I was in the studio in Philadelphia. They took me to the studio. Uh, at that point, we had barely two hundred people on our Facebook. One of the mother had a small. Uh, you know, marketing company. And she started our Facebook. She started our website because I didn't know how to do that. Uh, and when I went to the interview, we barely had two people on our website local. Mm-hmm. And when I was stepping out of the studio, going down the steps, my phone was ringing off the hook, telling me we're 10,000 people, 15,000 people. Seven. Wow. I mean, our, our he gives website, a good bump. <laughs> yes literally came down. In a, in a week, we had already over a million people visiting our Facebook page. Wow. Uh, so okay. That blew me away. Yeah.
0: When you, your first your first initial thought was it to start a local group similar? I know Beth. You know Beth done something local in the Chicago area, or was it really to start something national before you went on talker and before it kind of blew up in this way in a, in a good way?
1: Actually, when I look at the paperwork that I did right from the very beginning and what I told that mothers, the five mothers in my living room, but I want to have a chapter in every school board in the nation. And by then I started Googling and I found that there are between 15 to 16,000 school board in our nation. Already from the beginning, it became very obvious. Again, this is maybe my professional background that helped me understand that, uh, that it's really a local fight. Mm-hmm that in every community, you have to have the presence of parents, of community members that have to get up and protect their own children and their own community. Uh, and it's, no, it's not going to be somebody with a, with a magic wand in any state or even uh, with uh, Trump at that point when he started the 7076, uh, you know, uh, com- committee won't be able really to brush it off uh, immediately that it's really going to be up to the parents in each single community to get up and fight. And I haven't changed my mind or my outlook or my understanding or my analysis Mm -hmm. since then.
2: So where were some of the places where this took off early? Like who were some of your early adopters in terms of doing that grassroots activism?
1: uh, A father that called me from Maine Mm -hmm. and that uh, father who started fighting way before me. He was already a year into fighting his school board uh, to be transparent about what they're teaching his twin girls. Was he uh, looking for
2: resources? Like, what what were some of the needs that he had having been in that
1: fight? Just connect with somebody who's like-minded, first and foremost, Mm -hmm. and coming together. Uh, He was uh, one of them. I got a a message from a, a guy from New York. He's a lawyer. And he said, oh, I heard about this group in uh, Santa Barbara who filed the lawsuit. And you know what, if you need any help, I'm a personal injury lawyer, but if you need any help, I'm here. That's uh, Jonathan O'Brien, who eventually uh, was with the first case with Gabrielle Clark, Uh, although this was not his uh, area of practice. Um, uh, You know, uh, parents from uh, Kentucky, parents from uh, Texas, parents I mean, it's literally, parents from Hawaii, uh parents from uh, canada uh from mexico from i i just couldn't believe from all over the world but majority of them uh also europe australia but majority of them great majority of them from probably almost every state in the in the nation
0: was there any reds versus blue state difference or did, i mean at that point
1: even at that point i you couldn't tell uh, and obviously, as we evolved and we have chapters in many states in many areas, uh, it's really not red state, blue state, red areas, red areas. Mm-hmm. And in fact, over time what we discovered that in fact in many ways those um, red areas, the rural red areas are the soft belly <laughs> you mm-hmm. know of our because they are they've been targeted. The people there are pretty much think that they're in a safe location. They think that they are far from all this trouble. And all. one day they get up and their daughter is being transitioned. Mm. And So that's really, uh, from the very beginning, it, they came from all over the country.
2: So what exactly does No Left Turn do? Like, how would you describe the organization to someone not familiar with it?
1: Uh, two things. I would start by saying, you know, that we are not political organization. We are not about right and left, regardless of some people are misinterpreting our name. <laughs> uh, our people, meaning our volunteers, as well as our donors coming from all the spectrum of the political spectrum, as well as all walk of life. Uh, so really, when people look at our what we do and our information online, they realize that this is really not about conservative, but Democrat, or uh, liberal or whatever. This is about protecting our children. Uh, This is about uh, preserving our nation as a a, a free nation that is thriving. So this is one of uh, the important things for us also uh, to reinforce. Uh, That's why we we call ourselves a grassroots movement of common sense American. Uh, Not affiliated, we are not affiliated with any group and we are open uh, to, to everybody. And unless uh, some people really are stuck on uh, some uh, semantic of uh, organizational names or whatever, and they look at the actual uh, action material and what we are doing, uh, they understand that this is really a fight uh, for our children. Um, The uh, other aspect is um, the fact that we would like to, and it's related to the first one I mentioned, we would like to remove any politicization and any... Uh, indoctrination in school, meaning we, l- we believe in the classical education, we believe in the 3R, we would like to see the education going to what we believe it used to be, uh, when the emphasis is on the academic. Again, I-, I have to tell you, as a social worker, maybe some of this might be uh, a little bit challenging when you know that, for example, and I know, I worked with child welfare, child abuse and neglect. When you know that kids, when they enter the doors of the school, you cannot really uh, assume that all of them had breakfast, that all of them had a good night's sleep, that all of them live in a loving environment. The reality is not such. People come from broken homes. People come from homes with a lot of abuse, with poverty. So I'm not denying that there are, uh, you know, differences between children. However... Children are individuals. Just because a child has a certain pigmentation, a skin pigmentation, I don't assume automatically that they come from a broken background. I don't assume automatically that they are not capable of learning certain material. And that's what was the danger Mm -hmm. in what they were imposing. I would like to treat any child, regardless of any background, based on their need and not have a predisposition conception of what their needs are based on some emitable characteristic or preconceived notions. Uh, So that's very uh, critical. That's why again, going back to academic, so we will provide them at school what they need in order to succeed in life. And Mm -hmm. if some kids need some other kind of help, we'll work with other organization in the community to provide that help. We don't need to bring mental health clinic into the school, but we can help uh, you know, with them, connecting them with the resources in the community to provide the services that they need in order to help them succeed.
2: So you have a focus on developing grassroots activism, getting parents connected and showing up and advocating for some of the things you described, but then you've also had this um, the involvement in in the legal front. And so I'm wondering your perspective on how much of this is going to be won through the activism versus the lawsuits.
1: Well, our strategy is uh, three in three areas, uh, focus on three areas, Uh, the legal of course, like you mentioned now, legislative and uh, what I call civic engagement. I think we need all the three. They are complementing each other. Uh, Unless we raise awareness among parents, among communities about what's going on in the schools, You will not have also the parents that will understand that this is wrong and that will understand that some of those not only wrong, they need to be a a lawsuit and they need to go all the way to court in order to make a decision. Even if we take the case of Gabrielle Clark or other cases that I helped either teachers or uh, or students uh, where it became apparent that what they're doing also in CRT and also in sexualizing our kids where in fact they're infringing on parental rights, when in fact they are actually imposing uh, ideology that is uh, in contradiction to the parents' uh, uh, worldview, beliefs, etc., And when in fact they're harming the kids, literally harming the kids. So in all those areas, absolutely the civic engagement, raising parents' awareness, getting them organized, let him giving them the information and the tools to confront uh, the school superintendents and school board uh, that's very critical to uh, to the work and and all those again, this work also civic engagement, in fact uh, also has impact on the policies because you have to raise the awareness among uh, the legislators uh, because again unless we raise all this issue, I don't know if uh, Yunkin would have been uh, the governor of uh, you know Virginia. Uh, I don't know if a dissentist would have all those issues or, on his agenda uh, when he's dealing with, uh, with the schools in, in Florida. So by, again, the civic engagement that uh, make, exposes the information through FOIAs, through relationship with teachers inside the school and other entities that give us uh, information, exposing and then confronting the school, making this big noise. So to the point that the attorney general calls us uh, domestic terrorists. Uh, so all those, I think, all those three areas, all those three strategies are interrelated, interconnected, and are needed in order to fight.
0: You, you mentioned some of the issues a minute ago, uh, I think a year and a half, two years ago. Obviously, you had coming out of you know COVID school closures. That was a big thing that motivated parents, the public schools being closed critical race theory and the race issues was a big issue. Now it seems to be a little bit more the gender issues, the trans issues, sex ed, social emotional learning. Have you seen a change in the issues that, you know, motivates parents to get involved in your organization?
1: Absolutely. You know, as I told you already from the get go, I knew nothing. I never heard the word uh, CRT. Uh, I never, you know, Pennsylvania, University of Pennsylvania is one of the most woke universities. And that's where I got my doctorate. And in yeah. social work, and I never heard about uh, CRT. Uh, obviously, so uh, I was on a very steep learning curve, educating myself about all those issues. The day after Tucker, literally on the August uh, on uh, September 17, I came out with a very brief uh, video. My only the only video I made, less than two minutes, and I called it "It's Our D Day," that's the name, and. Uh, In a very sarcastic way, I pointed at four issues, Uh, 1619 project, the uh, CRT, and then I talked about every morning when your boy or girl will wake up, they'll have to decide, when your child gets up, they will have to decide if they're a boy or a girl. And the other issue that I talked about was math and science. On the first two issues, people understood right away and they agreed with me. You know, everybody heard about not everybody, many started hearing about CRT and 1619 project. But I was contacted, what are you talking about with boy and girl? What are you talking about? And methods, do you have any proof? You know, so I back then you go back to my early, early interviews. In every single interview, I said the most dangerous topic. Of all, more than CRT, more than 1619 would be sexualizing our kids in school, comprehensive sexuality education. Because I believe then, as I believe now, that this will change, fundamentally will change human society. Mm-hmm. How had that and, gotten
2: on your radar? Had you seen that in your kids' school before you, trans- before you transferred them? Or
1: Yes and no. Uh, yes, because I remember when my son, who is now seventh grader, he was in third grade, and um, I always say maybe because I'm a social worker, I don't ask my kids how was your day at school. I interrogate them. So when they we need come, more of
2: that, that's great.
1: So I, I, I just, went, well, you know, particularly boys, they focus on who threw the ball to me at recess, who didn't. Uh, Andrew, you don't know about it because you have a girl. So I don't know. <laughs> but this I thought is all why. they
0: tell you is you know if you ask them anything, the answer is fine. How was school? Yes, that
1: was fine. That's you? right. Nothing,
0: right? Is that right? Don't take fine for an answer.
1: <laughs> no, I never. So as I'm talking to my boy in the kitchen as I'm preparing dinner, and he's telling me about the homeroom teacher in third grade, uh, about the class that they had where the teacher told them about how to be nice to everybody, and I want him to be specific, and he's starting talking and he said and start talking about transgender, and I and I'm keeping trying to keep a poker face and my control my voice and what exactly is transgender and et cetera et cetera uh obviously i already that evening i wrote a teacher a, a message to the principal that i need to speak with her i want to know if that's what they're teaching in in school is it part of the curriculum is it part of the lesson plan uh, retroactively i know that they deny they lied to me when they denied But also, I know what I found out from many teachers later on, that they close the door and they do whatever they want. Yeah. Uh, So that's why already when I launched the movement, when I made the list of legislation that we need to work on, uh, one of them, not everybody likes that idea, I know, and there's a lot of controversy about it. But right then, two, three months after I launched the movement, cameras in the classroom was one of the the things that I was thinking about because exactly that I kept hearing more and more and I had my own experience. Teacher closes the door and they do whatever they want and you really don't know what gets into your kid's brain uh, Mm -hmm. with that uh, teacher. That was one experience uh, as well as my experience of my son when he was uh, the one that is 21 years old coming back from school. And as we're discussing and tells me that there was... uh, uh, you know, exhibit, uh, a very large exhibit of uh, transgender people in his high school, a very well-known high school, Harrington High School in my school district, and very highly regarded, high achievers. So again, I made an appointment with the principal. That was the pattern. Mm-hmm. I hear, I know somebody from my kid. I meet with the teacher, the principal, the counselor, but never took it broader than that. And I met with the, with the principal, and again, discussing this issue. But see, this is it, what I saw with my kid. However, as I said, I was on a very steep learning curve. And when I was Googling, 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 and I found about comprehensive sexuality education. Right. And then when I I found the website, stop C- CSE. And I was reading about Stop CSE and they have a map of United States there also, and tells you exactly in each state, what program are the, the state of funding in the CSE and what goes into the CSE. So I knew it's not about like this uh, safe sex or just uh, you know what we would think about sex health education. It was way beyond that, way beyond. That was what we now know and we address as pornography in school, or sexualizing our uh, kids, or even grooming our kids.
2: We'll be back with more Take Back Our Schools right after this. Hey, it's 2023. And uh, did you make any resolutions? Uh, We don't care. Uh, What matters is what you're going to do going forward, and that is resolved – did I use that word? I guess I did – to listen to the Ricochet Podcast. It's the flagship podcast with me, James Lytle, Peter Robinson, Rob Long, Charles, C.W. Cook, and a wide range of guests, interests, topics. In other words, it's everything you want in a podcast. It really is. So give it a listen. The Ricochet flagship podcast here at the Ricochet Audio Network. Where? Well, of course, ricochet.com. Have teachers re- reached out to you, or has it been mostly parents?
1: Many, many teachers in the beginning. Also, many teachers who wrote to me that they say I'm taking early retirement. Uh, I don't want to be involved in that. Uh, very concerned. Many teachers told me started sending me information about what's happening in the school, and uh, our chapters have been getting also information from teachers. Uh, so. In fact, uh, I was um, about a half a year old as a movement, actually not even half, five months old. And I put together a teacher's committee. I had over four dozen teachers from across the country. And uh, and I divided them into four subcommittees. Uh, one of them dealing, the top one was really dealing with uh, support to teachers. Teachers were going under tremendous, tremendous pressure and stress and not knowing how to navigate the system and what to do. Obviously, they need the job. You know They cannot just overnight uh, quit. Uh, and the second group was t- dealing with exposing what's happening in school so we can get more and more information from the inside. The third subcommittee was about developing alternatives in terms of curriculum, material, etc., cetera, to what's happening in school. And the last uh, subcommittee had to deal with data, collecting data, analyzing data, Even data such as how many of the school time is devoted to this issue? How many resources are going to to those issues? The committee met uh, twice and unfortunately, the same problem that has been a challenge from the very beginning uh, and still is a challenge is working with volunteers. Uh, At that time, we still were 100% volunteers. And um, keeping it going with volunteers is very challenging. So it really hasn't kept up and it dissolved. Now we just before Christmas, we started a new initiative uh, with teachers. We call it Back to the Schoolhouse. Uh, we have um, uh, thousands of teachers now in this initiative, and we are basically gonna revive all those four areas of the subcommittees that we uh, were engaged there before that didn't take off, but now we'll have even more teachers from uh, across the country with more information.
0: Do you find that the teachers, are, are they the only ones in their in their school? I mean, are they able to find like-minded people within a school or are they really you know very lonely uh, when they come to you? Uh,
1: you know, it's very tough to know because... Um, they're afraid to talk. Yeah. So you don't know. I I have. You know. I told you I was. I I was on Tucker on September 16, 2020. On September 17, the day after, I had a letter in my mailbox with a stamp. Uh, I have it with me from a teacher in my kids' school, elementary school, the one that we left. And that teacher basically was a thank you card, writing me. Uh, sending me a thank you that uh, and telling me that in the school there are a lot of teachers that are supporting what I do, and they're opposing these books and this information, but they're afraid to talk. Yeah. So some of them, and we hear it from other, t- they little by little finding each other uh, and talking, but it's re- they feel it's risky.
0: Do you, Do you think do it's do got? Do you th- go, let's go back to parents for a second. You know, you talked about how at the beginning it was very, very hard for parents to, to talk about this and you got you know very little public support, you know, in your own school and school district. Do you think now a couple of years into this and a couple of years into this being, you know, a national parents movement, it is easier for parents to be public about these issues or you think it's just as hard?
1: Uh, for some, yes, uh, but for many still not. It still really puzzled me when I'm still meeting people I just had a meeting on Friday with, uh, I just started a chapter finally in my school district. And um, this school, this area used to be very Republican. Uh, I'm in outside Philadelphia. About 20, less than 30 years ago, it started flipping. And now the whole school board is, um, is, you know, is walk. That's the best way to describe it. And, And radically walk. Uh, and I had I established a chapter here, and I met with the two chapter leaders on Friday, and uh, and we are and they still um talking about the people to bring together, and I have a big list of uh, really a lot of people, but still they are telling me people are afraid to talk, people are mm. afraid to stand up, they are losing family, they are losing a relationship with family, right. with close friends, with community. And they feel it's a trade-off. And and for me, it's still puzzling because I say, at what point would they realize yeah. that uh, what they're sacrificing in terms of friends that are not really friends? Because it's if a, their friends will ditch them at the moment that they have a different point of view, they're not really friends.
2: I agree. I mean, it's a terrible way to live. Always wondering... You know, I like, will, message- will I get invited? And honestly, just just stand up for what you believe in. And um, it's energizing. And not to mention, it's a pretty good, you know, be- pretty good behavior to model for your kids. You know, there's that. So are you getting involved in school board races? Is that something that No Left Turn wants to do?
1: Uh, yes and no. We follow the law. We are 501c3. And there okay. are very right. particular restrictions. Yes, what there are. can and cannot do. However, I feel that the educating the people, the parents, educating the community as much as possible—it's what actually happening in their school district—is very critical in mobilizing them to act and come and vote for school uh, in school board election. The other things, for example, that we do—you know—in addition to informing them, we, for example, developed in many school districts. We are using that we develop a set of questions to go and ask a candidate, any candidate for a school board election. And based on the answer, they'll decide for themselves if they actually supporting their uh, you know, uh, worldview and their values and vote. So we cannot tell them, we cannot endorse a candidate, but we can educate them to the point that they will reach their own conclusion. And if they care about those issues, it would be obviously that they will vote for candidate that support, you know, uh, fighting this uh, kind of indoctrination. We just launched this month um, a C4. So with the C4, we, you know, the the new entity can actually endorse candidate, but Mm -hmm. we keep it completely separate. And we are very careful to work, uh, you know, with uh, strictly with what the law allows us within the C3 and C4.
0: So, last question, because we want to be mindful of your time, because we know how busy you are leading this movement. Um, where do you see it going? Where do you see No Left Turn in Education going over the next, you know, year or two? And where do you kind of see this this whole parents movement going? You think this this has legs? You think this will be, you know, a, a movement that that grows for a long time? You think this there's, there's it fizzles out over time? What do you think?
1: It is very challenging question and something that I uh, think about. All the time, uh, because as um, we talked about before, uh, I think uh, the biggest challenge for us, and I think for other movements on the ground, is really the perseverance, and how do you maintain that uh, perseverance, and uh, what uh, what you are you see with uh, some volunteers that they understand you know, how, uh, dangerous this is. And they understand even, uh, how critical their involvement in fighting it. But, uh, at the same time, they don't understand that it's not, there's no magic wand here.
2: Right.
1: Uh, even, you know, they come to grips with the fact that the other side has been doing that for over decades, yep. 50, 60, and more years. Uh, it's hard for them to understand that they have to be volunteering, right. putting extra time on top of their care for their children, for the family, for, uh, you know, struggling economically, struggling with all the other things that our country going through. And uh, they have to put extra time into this. Um This is really uh, a major, major, major challenge to understand that this is something that you have to persevere. So one of, uh, for us in terms of as an organization, I know that we can do it. Uh, I know that the question is always how long and at what cost it's going to happen. I know that we can Mm -hmm. succeed. And unless we get uh, people, entities, organizations, foundations, or individuals, that would understand that the fight is a grassroots fight. Mm-hmm. This is has to be a grassroots fight, school district by school district, and support us. Yeah. This is uh g- this is the c- most critical issue without the funding to support at least some organization for people that can take it as a full-time job that for example full time job to get volunteers to work to recruit the volunteers to give them the tool to train them right. and etc it's not going to happen
2: it isn't i mean as as we've said here before uh, there is no cavalry coming to save you you are the cavalry so figure out how you can have a role in that cavalry and um well we absolutely appreciate your perseverance you are a role model uh, for many we really appreciate um, just you being one of the first mama bears uh, to really make a splash and bring attention to uh, what's happening in our schools. And where can people find out more information about No Left Turn?
1: Please visit our website, noleftturn.us. You'll find a lot of information there, including tools to how to fight and educate yourself about what's happening uh, in uh, in all those indoctrination areas as well as uh, we have uh, Facebook pages for every state in the country, No Left Turning Education. Uh, Please join us. We need every single one to win this fight.
0: Thank you, Alana. Thanks for coming on.
1: Thank you.
2: Uh, well, Alana is just, I mean, can you have more energy and passion? Um, I don't know what her work week is like, but it's definitely more than yeah. 40 hours a week. <laughs> yeah,
0: no, she, and I think, I know, I, you know, we, she's a friend and and I think to both of us, mm-hmm. um, you know, I think she's been, you know, the challenge is, is she came out of this and, you know, full steam going. And so I want to, I want to recruit people and I want to have, like she said, a, chapter in every school every 15,000 or 16,000 school district, Yeah, very ambitious. Uh, mm-hmm. But uh you know other organizations you know went up about this differently and said, well, no, let's let's go raise a lot of money. Um let's focus on that and and maybe they haven't done as much, maybe they have just because they have more resources. So that's kind of always you know the trade-off is is focus, you know, 100 hours a week on the grassroots and and launching new chapters and training them and recruiting. It is. It is. It is.
2: And, and it isn't. And, and she's right. You know, it takes a lot of time and energy and effort while you are also fundraising. I mean, it is um, yeah. it, it uh, running a grassroots organization on a volunteer basis, which I actually, I strongly believe in that. I think you, you retain some authenticity yeah, um, I agree. when it is a, just as this is part of what you do as a citizen. So I think that, that she has, right. Um, but you know, then they've had some wins. She didn't talk a whole lot about it, but they, you know, she was early on in helping connect people with legal resources, which is definitely an avenue where you're going to get, you know, highest impact in the shortest amount of time, I think. Um, But I liked her. I liked her focus on the legal, the legislative and the civic engagement. It's not just it's not only one of those. It really is all three. Um, So, yeah. And she certainly has scaled. So it's a it's a good organization. People can check it it out.
0: So please check it out and, uh, and you know, and support it because it, it, I think it is really one of the really good organizations in this parents movement.
2: I would agree. So, okay, well, uh, with that, we thank you for listening. And if you enjoyed today's show, please do share it and give us a positive review and then be sure to join us again. So on behalf of my co-host, Andrew Gutman, this is Beth Feely, and we'll be back soon with another episode of Take Back Our Schools.